Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsparts.ie. And together we are the Raw Pet Medics. of our great guest, Mark Roberts, Dr. Mark Roberts, no less. Okay, uh, we're going to build you up here. We've put a few little links on. We're going to be putting a few more of his links to his page because he's got some great little articles on there. Um, and uh, we're going to bring him on. It looks like Nick has fallen at his internet, as usual, being out in the wild of Wiltshire. So uh, what we're going to do... <laughs> yeah. He he uses he uses his phone for internet. I can't believe he uses his phone for internet. He does. He can't get Wi-Fi to his house. I actually, I I tell you, I tell you what, boys. My where I live, I used to have terrible internet, terrible, terrible internet. And then um, a certain Elon Musk really? got this Starlink thing going, and it's been amazing ever since. No way! Oh, is that it's, your, it's is been that... a, it's been a game changer. It's been amazing. What is it? Yeah. What is Starlink? I don't even know what it is. Well, in the US, um, there's two or three providers, and basically, um, by internet providers, I'm talking about the the satellites are up in thousands of miles above Earth. The problem is there's such a lag by the time it goes up and comes back down, it's terrible internet. What he's done, he's got hundreds of little tiny satellites that only sit literally, I think it's about 40, 50 miles above the earth so you get no lag yeah so literally your internet ah. your internet is as good as it is i wouldn't say it would it was ultra fast but it's pretty pretty damn fast wow wow i'm impressed because you whereabouts are you living at the moment mark we'll get a bit of your background now in a second but where are you right now so i am now in the middle of my forest in um northern new wow. hampshire in an area called the white mountains <laughs> your forest Yes, in your forest, you own trees, more than one tree. Nice. We, we, I, yeah, it's quite a few. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. We didn't no get this invite. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those. I, I, um, firstly, I have a lot of dogs, so I don't want to, uh, frustrate neighbors by a lot of howling. And secondly, I do like my peace. I do like to go outside and see the leaves blowing. You know, listening to the birds singing. Yeah. I, I I love that kind yeah. of stuff. So that's that's kind of why we live this life. You know, it's um it's hard in some ways, but I, I really enjoy it. When I lived in New Zealand, I lived really remote and I realized really remote wasn't for me. So now I'm in a forest, but I'm also probably twenty minutes away from a uh, a reasonable sized town. Okay, twenty minutes. But you have neighbors, you can can you see another house from your house? Is there No. Whoa! No, Whoa. I, I, I have so a, <laughs> I have about I have about 
I probably have about half a mile of my own road before I get to my house where the nearest neighbour is, is down there. Wow. Love it. Listen, Mark, tell us a bit about your background and why, uh, uh, just where you, how you got to where you are now. Just give us a quick bit of uh, where you've come from and um, what you're doing at the moment. So, in a nutshell, um, and I'll try and make it a nutshell, um, years and years ago when I was a kid, my dad, um, I grew up in the UK, uh, my dad used to work, work for the British Antarctic Survey, and back then, uh, they don't anymore, but they did then, they used to have um, sled dogs, working sled dogs. And he used to talk to me about these dogs that were fed primarily seal meat, um, so a very high-fat protein-based diet with obviously no carbohydrate content. And these dogs um, performed really well in obviously challenging conditions. Um, years later, um, it's one of those, no matter how much you don't want to become your dad, you kind of do to a certain degree. Um, I, uh, I found myself with a whole heap of sled dogs. And um, I was feeding them a, a sort of a pretty standard kibble diet. And I just started questioning the whole logic behind it. You know, having a, having a background, a nutritional background, I kind of thought this doesn't make sense. And just from a very rudimentary common sense perspective, you know, why am I feeding these carnivores a lot of carbohydrates? And that, that led me down um, the route of, of eventually switching over and feeding my dogs a meat-based diet um, and um, begging and pleading and eventually getting a job in animal nutrition and then uh, doing a lot of lot more begging and pleading and getting uh, getting funding and, and being accepted into a PhD program uh, at Mass University. So um, in New Zealand, in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so I completed that. Um, built up the team this is a real sort of i'm, I'm flying through all the years here what um, was the what was the ph what was the phd about mark so i wanted to I, three sentences yeah i wanted to be the only i wanted to do a, a phd investigating the benefits um of feeding a high fat protein based diet versus a high carbohydrate diet i, I wanted to see what if any benefits there were or not or not i wanted to sort of look at the whole thing and and see see what I could find. Oh, yeah. such an open well, question. That's find? a bit cruel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I'll, I'll try and I'm trying to really summarise all this. So the first thing I wanted to do was see what a dog wants to eat, um, because as we all know, um, dogs have evolved from wolves. Wolves would eat a, a meat based diet. Nowadays. A lot of dogs, most dogs are fed a carb-based diet. And I wanted to see what it was they actually wanted, wanted to eat. Um, there's actually um, a couple of researchers. David Ramaheimer's one. Uh, he's based in, I think he's at, I think he's in Sydney University, University of Sydney. Um, and he does a lot of work in something called um, uh, nutritional geometry, which in essence involves providing uh, an animal, and it's not just dogs, he's done it with a whole heap of diff different animals, basically a buffet of, of different foods to choose from. And what he's found is that when you allow an animal to choose what it wants to eat, as in protein, fat, carbs, and he's also looks, looked at certain other minerals as well, but essentially when you look at what they want to choose, there are health benefits behind what they want to intuitively consume. 
So that was my first thing. Let's see what dogs want to eat. So I gave them a buffet, a buffet of different foods to choose from, and I found uh, that they wanted to consume on an energy basis, on an energy basis, around about 35% protein, 60-odd percent, 63 64% fat, and 2% carbs, which, if you want to look at it on a dry matter basis, and it all depends on how much ash is in a, in a product and all the rest of it, but you're looking at roughly around about 53% uh, protein, around 40% fat, and just a smidge and a couple of, couple of percent, one or two percent of, of carbs. So that's what I found. Um, so then my next step in my research was, well, um, I really wanted to push the boundaries here and see, well, were they just selecting um, this amount of protein, fat and carbs based on the ingredients I, I used? So, for example, um, I use a lot of green tripe. Maybe they were just consuming a lot of protein because of the green tripe. So, essentially, I gave them uh, two different diets with different ingredients, but with the same macronutrient composition. So, if they consumed one or the other, you know, if there was a, as a preference, then obviously we could, we could determine that the ingredients were the key thing. But, but basically, there was, no, there was no difference in the, the amount they consumed between the two. I also did the same study, but with two carbohydrate diets, because I wanted to see, well, they didn't want to eat carbs. Maybe it was just they hated the carb that I was using in the initial study. So I think I used rice and I, I used um, extruded maize, I think it was for the other one. So I did, again, two diets, two high-carb diets, the same macronutrient ratio, but with a different carb ingredient. And again, there was no difference. So this reinforced to me that dogs do indeed target a certain level of macronutrients. Um, one, one key point just to throw in there in the mix as well is that what I found is that dogs um, consumed a, a lot more fat initially for the first day or two, and this dropped off, shoo, dropped straight off thereafter. Um, I could waffle all day about why that is, but, but that's what I found is they did really want to consume a lot, of, a lot of fat for a day or two, then that dropped off. This, this I believe, I'll just give you a little insight, I think it's just down to that concept that I think a lot of carnivores, they, they, they intuitively want to get a lot of calories in quick, you know, just in that feast and famine mentality. And thereafter, they'll kind of settle into that, that sort of more, that, that ratio that I described before, which is, which is kind of like um, sort of a third of energy derived from, from protein and two-thirds from fat. Mark, if you're feeding a lot of, pan a lot of, a lot of fat, how much pancreatitis did you see with the dogs that you were studying or with your own dogs? That's, that's a question that I get asked quite a lot when I start talking about fat. And I'm a big fat fan and I'm not a cereal carbohydrate fan, as you can imagine. So wh wh where, where, did, where did you, what are your thoughts on pancreatitis with this type of diet? So there's a couple of a little cheeky little studies that I, I, I did in between, but I eventually came to that same thought process that you did which was what, is, what would be the number one objection, um, primarily from the veterinary community, but also from the sort of the, well, I guess it is from the veterinary community that sort of filters downstream to Joe Public. And pancreatitis was that poster child that I wanted to investigate. So what I did was um, I basically got um, a whole heap of dogs, and they were fed a standard, um, a standard kibble, um, for about six weeks, 
And then I measured the fasting uh, pancreatic lipase and I measured triglycerides. Um, triglycerides being associated with the development of pan pancreatitis in dogs. I then exposed them to a high-fat meal. And the high-fat meal I gave them just so happened to be the same one that the dogs had selected, the same ratio. So they all had this meal. This was only 24 hours after they'd had the, the high-carb commercial one before. They all ate it, um, and then I measured 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 12, and 24 hours after they had consumed that meal, um, uh, plasma triglycerides, and I measured pancreatic lipase. And I wanted to see how, how these dogs would get on as a baseline. After that, uh, for eight weeks, half the dogs remained on this high-fat diet, the exact same diet, and the other half were put into a high-carb diet but it was a high carb diet that I'd made myself. So it involved certain raw components, you know, essentially to give me the majority of the protein and fat. There was an extruded carb in there as well because I wanted to have the carbs more or less the same. I think there was maybe a couple of percentage difference between that and the commercial diet at baseline, but it's pretty much the same. Did it for eight weeks. And then again, I gave them that high fat meal, that high fat meal tolerance test that I, I mentioned at the start of the study. So what I found was um, that at the beginning, fasted, fasted as in the, from the, on the back of being fed the commercial carbohydrate-based diet, their levels fasted were significantly higher than um, the high-fat diet. So in a fasted level, the dogs that had been fed a high-fat diet, which one would assume to be indicative of pancreatitis had lower levels now all these levels were within range they weren't dangerous or anything like that but still they were higher in the high in the baseline carb diet than um the high fat diet two things you were mentioning mark in that point was when you said blood triglycerides that's essentially blood fat uh, that's the fat in the blood isn't it yes. and the lipase is the enzyme that the pancreas produces to digest all the fat yeah. so vets historically were worried that when those spiked they blamed, well, they're spiking because you're eating fat. Okay. Is yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that you, yeah, you're absolutely right, mate. So I think now is a good time if I manage to take a little bit, you know, step back and say, well, how have we come to this assumption? You know, this, this assumption. And you're absolutely Which right, assumption? Con. Which assumption? The, 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 the assumption that, that high-fat diets lead to pancreatitis. Good. Yeah, great. Um, so, again, I won't go into massive amounts of detail, but essentially... This, this is the assumption. Dog eats a high-fat meal. The triglycerides, this is, this is called triglycerides blood fat for argument's sake. They go high. The, the triglycerides get carried in the blood by lipoproteins. Like kind of, imagine it being the bloods, imagine these triglycerides are like being carried around on little boats in the blood and they end up at uh, the pancreas. There's so much fat that the pancreas can't deal with it it starts producing a lot of pancreatic lipase. So basically what lipase is, is it breaks down the fat, but the pancreas is working feverishly to try and break down this fat, working like you've got your handbrake on, you put your foot in your foot on the accelerator on your car, your pancreas becomes stressed, and that leads to pancreatitis. And which, that is worse in the high-carb group, given the high-fat, than the high-fat, yeah. high-fat high fat group. 
Is that it, correct? It, in a fasted level, in a fasted level, all the levels were in the normal range. Yeah. But it was significantly higher, nevertheless, in the, in the kibble high-carb diet at the start okay. in comparison okay. to the high-fat. So if you look at it from the outside in, it kind of makes, you know, you can see the logic behind it. Now, if we had, if, if we had to add on to that, and it's like a lot of things in science is that, and I love science, but sometimes it can be very frustrating. There were some studies in the 70s where they got dogs and they infused um, uh, the dogs with saline. Nothing happened. So they then infused some dogs with saline, but I think it was about 18 millimoles per litre of, of trigs of triglycerides, which is quite a lot. And they did it over four hours. And there was the pancreas put on a whole heap of weight. There was edema. There was all this kind of stuff, you know. So, the, so again, this just added more A plus B equals C, you know. They came to this conclusion. So when I did this and found that this wasn't the case, you know, um, you know, I, I obviously, well, I didn't wonder why, because I already had an idea behind because I spent a lot of time reading up and studying it. So I kind of had a feeling this might have happened. But before I go into that, let me just explain another interesting finding I found, which was this. Is that when I actually, at the start, when the dogs were fed the kibble, those levels over those um, 24 hours, the triglycerides went up and came back down, which you would imagine had been cleared. But what I found at the end is that they were much lower in the high-fat group over that 24-hour period. But also, perhaps even more interestingly, they were also much lower in the high-carb fed diet, the one I put together that consisted of raw products and extruded um, carb. They were still much lower than at the beginning. Bear in mind, like I said, the, the, the kibble at the start had a very similar macronutrient profile. So the, the, basically, the, the, it, was pretty, it was the same amount of carb, protein, and fat near as damn it. But at the end, when they were given a high-fat meal challenge, they were much lower. On, on the kibble. And what's the significance of that, do you think? Well, what, what, that, what that says is that, that some, there's something about a kibble diet that when you give a dog a high-fat meal thereafter, there's something in kibble beyond just the amount of carbs that seems to elect um, more of the markers, the high-level triglycerides, than another diet with exactly this one, well, not exactly, but like I say, a couple of percent different difference using raw products in combination with carbs. But it's not just carbohydrates. About, about your research, okay, so we, you found rather paradoxically that high-carbohydrate diets were a spike in blood fat. Is, is this because, this is my very simplistic understanding of it, but I appreciate your insight. Is this because the body is happy to burn carbohydrates? This glycolytic energy system is what? Why would carbohydrates spike blood fat? That's the complete opposite to what you would expect. I don't blame the veterinary industry for believing the other way, but now that your information has been out for years, I do blame them for not picking up the ball. So why why do high carb diets spike blood fat? Because 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 if you look at carb if you look at say carbohydrates, um, they go through. A certain number of pro so, so imagine you let's just keep it simple you, you consume carbs and they get broken down to glucose yeah now what happens is is um these carbohydrates then go through another level another few steps of processes 
and there's a few enzymes that break down things, and you end up with fatty acids, and the final end result is triglycerides. Now, I'm not going to bother with all the names, fatty acid synthase, and all the rest of the stuff that goes on with it, but, 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 but essentially, carbohydrates, I mean, this isn't even, like I said, I mean, I, I, it, this isn't massively complicated, you know, is that there's no doubt at all, this isn't me trying to make it up, there is no doubt at all that um, carbohydrates can get, be converted into, into triglycerides. It's, it's just a fact, you know. Um, that's not me trying to spin it. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, it's so, a biochemical pathway. Yeah, that's liver. what I'm saying. Yeah, it is. To, it's to just, it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not anti or pro. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sort of in the middle on everything. I, well, I like to think I am, apart from... Manchester United winning the Premier League next year, which I'm not going to happen. <laughs> but but I mean that that aside, that aside, this is this is um you know this is a fact you know so um and I think that's I think the problem why we've got to this position is is one old studies the one I mentioned which actually was correct in what they did but on the back of that we had five or six studies which were very poor studies in terms of we gave dogs loads of scraps of food and came to this conclusion, or the diets were so deficient in a lot of other nutrients that they gave the dogs pancreatitis for other reasons. And it's just one of those that once you've got a bit of momentum behind it, that becomes the norm. So then to try and, yeah. book, to try and book the trend, you know, you, you're, you're, um, uh, you've got to be pretty solid in what you're saying. And that's, that's kind of, Honestly, Connor, that's why now I'm in this position where I just want to share my stuff to people so they can kind of understand it, you know, and get a better feel for it. You know, it's I think yeah. it's I think that's the reason why we've got it. Number one, it kind of seems counterintuitive, and number two, the the, the science ball of logic has kind of gathered speed, and now everyone believes that, you know, which is just silly. I mean, if you want to look at, um, there's a lady called Elizabeth Parks uh, who's done heaps of research in humans heaps of research this has been shown in humans for years i mean i'm talking 20 30 years but for some reason just using good old common sense we we know we have the belief that that a, that a carnival like a dog somehow that, that's different we can give it loads of carbs and it's going to somehow be different you know which is just silly so um i find it um I find it frustrating, but it is what it is. But, it, but, but the other thing as well to remember as well, like I said, is there's, there's something about kibble that sort of preloads a dog when he gets exposed to a high-fat diet that elevates levels higher. So there's something about kibble that caught... Now, whether it's something to do with um, it being drier, whether it's something to do with some level of gastric emptying, um, whether it's to do with some sort of enzyme, like, I don't know, lipoprotein lipase might be a good example. And if it's any of those factors or a collective group of those factors that leads to it almost preloading the dog that's then exposed to a high-fat diet to, de to run the higher risk of developing pancreatitis. I, my, all the dogs I, I, I used in my study, none of them developed pancreatitis. Mm. But there were some of them, the levels were, the, at a, I guess I would describe them as being a worrisome range. You know, you wouldn't want to leave a dog like that for a long time. So um, I think it's a mixed bag of how we've got there. But if you're asking me, honestly, if I wanted to reduce the risk of a dog developing pancreatitis, I would 
definitely put it on a diet of this of this type. Now, one other thing I will I will say is I also, and I had a few people ask me about this, is what about um, you know the likes of miniature schnauzers and other breeds that are predisposed to pancreatitis. I once did a, um, this is a little bit of an in-house study I did in New Zealand with a, a, a practice up in Auckland where they had um, some schnauzers that were just on crazy levels, crazy, crazy levels. Um, levels of what? Of tricks? Yeah, of, of, tr of tricks, yeah. I mean, they were, they were like really, okay. I, can't, I can't remember what they were, but they were really high, right? And I said, right. and basically in the clinic, I said, listen, I, don't, I can't guarantee this is going to bring them down. I, I have no idea. But there was, there were, there were such a stage the dogs, where they were just the owners were willing to try anything, you know, they were, they were so high. And we tried it. I think we gave it about two weeks, and it made um, no difference. There was no difference at all in terms of bringing them down. My honest, my honest belief is this, is that we don't know exactly with those breeds what uh, – there's some clear some level of genetic predisposition to obviously developing the, the condition. And we don't know exactly what. There's a whole concept behind whether it's clearance or overproduction. But whatever it is, um, I would. My view on this is still, and I can't, I can't say this a hundred percent. But my, my gut instinct, based on just understanding, the, you know, these pathways, is I would still put them on a diet of that type. But I think once it's gone to the point where it's so crazy, it's just too far. It's so far gone. It's kind of hard to bring it back. So I would still when, put. Wouldn't you, would, wouldn't you want them on them longer than just two weeks, Mark? If they've been on on, you on could do. you know kibble for three years and they've been on raw for two weeks you'd want to give it a bit longer surely you, you, yeah, yeah i no? mean that 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 might work that might work um my feeling is it, it, it was it was and my honest feeling is i'd rather get to him before that's even developed you know yeah. and i and, and i would what i would do what i would do as well is is i would um i would measure um pancreatic lipase fasted and probably about because you, you tend to find that the, the, the trigs are kind of high about hour five post perennials after they consumed a meal. So I would measure, I would put them onto a diet like this, and I would get that lab work done the, the fasted uh, lipase, fasted trigs, and then um, hours five after consuming a meal, I would, I know this is a lot of hassle, maybe this isn't practical. But hour five, I would measure the triggers again, and hour six to the lipase, just to see how the lipase has been kicking in to reduce those triggers. And, and I would do that maybe once every month, uh, and then, you know, for, I don't know for how long, just to the point I knew the dog was, the dog was okay, you know. Um, that's how I would deal with it. Do, do different quality fats, like what about rancid fat? What about like the, you know, filthy kind of deep fat fire fat that can be in some kibbles and not in the, in the EU in fairness? But uh, like, do different quality fats do different things to dogs? In, term, to in terms of pancreatitis, I, I, I honestly couldn't say. I looked at, um, I looked at different levels of, um, of fat, or different types of fats. The, the, only, the only fat I can tell you that actually does help in terms of reducing this is, is um, your uh, polyunsaturated. So basically, your EPA and DHAs do actually, they do show, if you take about one, uh, one gram, of um, EPA DHL combo, mega threes. Yeah, yeah. You, you do actually find that that, uh, that there's actually papers been out there on that that they do decrease um, the actual um, level of triglycerides of, of plasma triglycerides in dogs. 
Now, we don't know why that is, but I, I suspect, I suspect it's probably to do, you know, I said those carbs go down that chain and there's all these enzymes and you end up with, with triglycerides. I think what they do is they interfere with, with those enzymes on, on route to the actual triglycerides. I'm, I'm reasonably confident that that's what it is. They, they, ultimately, they, they somehow prevent uh, the actual conversion into triglycerides. And in the positive. human side, and in the human side, they, they split all of the triglycerides down into you know, the densities and the cholesterols into the densities, yes. etc. Have yes. you found in the, in the dog stuff, you must have found that there's a similar sort of spread of densities of, of lipids that will come into the bloodstream. Is that right? Yeah. So if you look, if you look at, if you look at, um, if you look at triglycerides, essentially there's, there's, there's two, um, there's two lipoproteins we want to look at. So, if, so for example, you've got um, VLDL, which is derived primarily from a bit of from adipose, bit of fat tissue, but mostly from the liver, liver sorry. And they synthesize, they synthesize through something called de novo lipogenesis. So they can, they basically, this is what makes the uh, triglycerides from non-carb sources. And then you've also got, um, and they carry on to the, to the pancreas. And then the other way is you've got a, a, another type of lipoprotein called calomicrons. And they're intestinally derived. And again, they carry on to, the, to the, um, the pancreas. And I think there's two things going on with why dogs, and it's the same with humans, really, is why these triglycerides are high. Firstly, it's, there's more in these VLDL, so there's been more that are synthesized. And there's also, I think there's delayed clearance. that They're not being cleared as quickly as what they should be. And I think those are the two main factors of why we see elevated uh, triglycerides in, in dogs. The body, the body, when you say it's not being cleared, do you mean the body's not burning off the fat? Is it like busy burning off carbohydrates? Is it like the difference yeah, between uh, yeah. petrol, and, petrol and diesel? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, I mean, I've got my working dog stuff is that it's based on the same concept is that if you, I think a real simple way of thinking of it is that if whatever you give your body or the dog has, it doesn't really matter actually in that regard, it's going to burn most. So if, you, if, you, if your body's relying on carbs, it's going to work off carbs. You give it fat, it's going to work on fats. So it's where you want to, you know, it's, it's, it's pick your choice, you know. But, I, but what I'm saying is my research is, is based on that I think having a lot of carbs in a dog's diet, and it's not just pancreatitis, it's other stuff as well. I, I think that, 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 and there's a lot more research that has to be done, no doubt, but it's more detrimental to the health of the animal um, than it is, um, you know, a dog that's a diet that's based on just just fat and protein, or with an absolute minuscule amount of carbs. Yeah. Well, one last question on this before we get to uh, the implications for this for sporting dogs. But uh, what about the fact that uh, dry pet food is very high in omega six? The six to three ratio is completely out. Does that does that have any effect on downstream of uh, with like even with pancreatitis? Really, is that not a factor? So little omega three in pet, dry pet food. I think it could be for the, the 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 factor I mentioned, you know, in terms of the might because the imbalance is so high that this might have some some effect. Uh, it might be that just the just because the the N sixes are so high that there might be um, some inflammatory assault that's actually leading to this. I don't necessarily believe that that's what's leading to it. it may may in some way encourage the pancreas to become more inflamed. Yeah, yeah it, it, in combination with what I just mentioned, possibly. Um, but, um, I mean, don't get me started on that. That's, that's another whole 
kettle of fish, that one. I can, I can yeah. talk all day about that. <laughs> so t- t- tell, us about, tell us about your sled dogs, Mark. You have a sled, you have a heap of dogs out the back uh, and they're huskies. And these are a breed that haven't extrapolated out this gene for amylase production. So if anybody's been keeping track, we've brought this up a few times. One of the things that they, there was a big study in 2014, Alex and, and a few others, and they found that dogs that have been living beside farmers for the last five or six, eight thousand years have more of this gene for amylase production, which is the enzyme the pancreas produces for, for uh, breaking down carbs. So it makes sense. If you've been living beside a group of people that are producing a lot of carbs, you've got some carb waste, you give it to the dogs. So it seems they've taken a few tiny steps. Darwin would have given his eye teeth to see this evolutionary step towards carbohydrates. Tiny little steps. But Huskies and Akitas didn't extrapolate, didn't um, breed out this gene at all. I mean, uh, dingoes and wolves have two, and then Huskies and Akitas have four. Labradors have like 32 or something. So you've got this breed of dog out the back that you are working really hard. Uh, and can you tell us what you feed? So I think... The first thing I want to I want to want to say is I don't I, I I'm still a little bit wary of that study, and I still believe I, I still believe like I'm going to give some logic behind this that any dog, any dog, working dog or not, should be fed a high fat protein based diet. Okay, yes. so um, again, I'm probably not going to have to go have time to go other reasons why why I suggest, why I say this. You know, there's there's things such as hydration. There's things as such as um, there's been some pretty good research in terms of um, epilepsy in dogs um, and, and how feeding a high-fat protein-based diet, low in carbs or absent in carbs can be beneficial for them. But let, let, let's just start with the basics again. Like, like I said, so if you feed, there's three ways you can give energy to a dog. There's protein, fat, and carbs. So carbs, let's just do a carb straightforward. Dog eats, eats carbs, glucose, and they store, they store glucose in the form of something called glycogen. But let's, just, let's just assume it's like a fuel tank of a car. Uh, in either the liver or the, the more obvious place, the skeletal muscle. And that's where they store these carbs in glycogen. Now, when the dog starts working, then, the, the, then those levels start going down. So once those levels go down, the only way you can replenish those for a dog that's reliant on carbs, doesn't matter whether it's a husky, doesn't matter whether it's a Labrador, doesn't matter whether it's some old pooch lying in front of the fire, wherever it is right now, once those levels have gone down, the only way you can replenish those is to give the dogs more carbohydrates. Okay. Now, if you, I'll give you an example. If you, same with humans. The, the, the analogy for humans or the term they use for humans, you know when someone's like a marathon runner and they say they've hit the wall? When they've hit the wall, that means that they've basically ran out of energy. Their carbs have all gone. They're goosed. And that's when they start taking these gel packs on or the sweets or whatever it is they take on to try and replenish that energy. So if you, if, you look at, if you look at a dog that's on a high-fat diet with protein and no carbohydrates, then what you tend to find is just using looking at glycogen, the fuel tank analogy, then yes, it might be half full, but what you find is it doesn't go right down. So a dog that's full of carbs will have a higher tank, but theirs goes down, and that's them. Whereas a dog that's on uh, a fat protein-based diet, it's, it's less but it doesn't go down anywhere near as much. Now, you might say, well, and a lot, again, it's kind of the same as the, fat, the, the triglycerides and, you know, um, issue, really. Of, you know, is, well, why, how, does a, how does a dog that's on a, a fat and protein diet with no carbs, how does it maintain this level of muscle glu- uh, glycogen, glucose, when it's not consuming carbohydrate? And it does that 
uh, via a word called gluconeogenesis, which is a long fancy word, but essentially just means converting non-carbohydrate sources to to glucose. So proteins and fats. Yeah. Yeah. So it can do it can do things like you may know I mentioned the triglycerides. So tri three. So you've got the fatty acids are broken away, and the glycerol can be used as a glucose source. Good example. Yeah. A good example with the certain. Um, there's certain proteins, so for example, alanine. Alanine can be can be used as a substrate for glucose. So they manage to maintain it without going down and going crazy. The other thing with a high fat diet is it makes the dog reliant on fat as a, as a primary source of energy. And by doing that, there's so, obviously so much more energy per gram or whatever in fat compared to protein and carbs. So it's got loads of even the lean dog's got thousands and thousands of calories stored. And obviously, if it's consuming a high-fat diet, it's doing that as well. So it's basically you've, you've, you've pushed them away by feeding the diet of that composition to, one, rely on fat as a source of energy, and two, um, the glycogen doesn't go as low. Now, there's, a, there's an interesting study that a guy called Arlie Reynolds, this is, and this is the same for any dog. He did it with sled dogs, and I think it was 160 miles. There was one group that was fed a high-carb diet. Glycogen was high. And they were much slower than the other dogs who had a moderate amount of, of, of glucose. Um, but they just didn't go down. They just kept on chugging away. We did a, an, another example would be we did a study in um, slightly different, but in New Zealand with working dogs. We fed them a high-fat protein, very low-carb diet versus a high-carb typical kibble diet with working dogs. And we put the hydrix collar and measured activity. This was during the working season, the, the muster season in New Zealand. And we found the dogs that were like that, they had glucose levels that were um, lower, but stayed lower than the high-carb kibble diet. They were much higher, but they weren't hypo. And when you looked at the activity level for the hydrix, they were significantly more active than the dogs that were fed a high-carb diet that had far more high levels of glucose that went down. I actually think, to be honest with you, I actually think dogs inherently the, 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 what, is, what is perceived as being a norm for glucose is typically higher than what it probably would be by, by virtue of a, of a high-fat protein-based diet. So, Mark, what you're saying is that you can... You can and so, really, an a more efficient food. Yeah, and if you prehabilitate the dog to fat, you induce those pathways to, so that they can break down alanine and uh, gluconeogenesis and what have you. Yeah. So that when you get to the working season, the dog is already... Switched in. Uh, switched into, yeah. exactly, yeah. Connor. Switched yeah. into the fat burning so it's not so reliant on glycogen so it doesn't hit yeah. the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, don't, I, can, I can take, I, I'll take my dogs out. Even, even where, I, where I live now, there's people that will take the dogs out on the trails. Uh, and it's, it's typical with working dogs. That I don't, I've never understood this one. Uh, and I don't get involved in it because I don't want to sort of rock any boats with it. But, but, but there's a lot of, a lot of people who feed a mixture of kibble and raw, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I think, make, I think I'd rather do that than just feed kibble. But the problem, the, the fundamental problem, unfortunately, those folk make is that by feeding them, even if it's 20% kibble, is you're not allowing the dogs to fully switch over into that ketogenic state and yeah. use and, yeah. and really use those fats. You know, you're kind of, what you're doing is you're kind of like messing about with a light switch, but you're not really fully going one way or the other. So yeah. good on good on you, but you've not fully gone the whole way. And I can tell you now, from you, my, 
I can sorry, sorry, Connor. I was going to say I can tell you now from my own research. It doesn't take it doesn't take much in terms of carbs in the dog's diet to take them out of that that carb sorry that fat reliant ketogenic state. That was my question. Yeah. Brilliant. So if you give them a little bit of carbs, have you seen? Uh, can dogs hit a wall? Do dogs? Uh, when they're switching from, let's say, a carb-burning pathway to fat-burning pathway simply, uh, can dogs hit a wall like marathon runners do? Does, does that happen, or do they, can they switch just like that? Uh, I, I, I've I found with my own dogs uh, and other dogs, because I've, actually, I've got it just over, over there, that, that when I measure ketones or blood glucose, they switch over real quick. Like, you can fast them for 24 hours and they'll, they'll be into it. Um, I, think, I think the longer you do it, the more kind of adapted they become to it, you know. So there are, I think that there, is a, there is a belief out there, and again, I don't necessarily agree with this, that feed them more meat in the working season and then just put them on a cheap, a cheap mm. kibble. You know? I, I don't believe that because I think what you're doing is you really want to let, you really want to get, let those pathways fully get going, you know. You don't want to sort of take them in and out of it. Just let them get in there and let everything get firing away, you know. Now, um, the other one, <laughs> I keep you all day with this. The, the other one I'm going I'm to I'm briefly touch upon is, is, some, is and I, I mentioned it quickly, but I think it's a really important point, is hydration. Okay, so, and I'm sure, I don't, I'm sure you guys have probably spoken about this in the past in terms of raw food and hydration and how dogs drink less. I'm sure you've spoken about it. So, um, in terms of working dogs, and this is where the whole working dog thing is kind of, People might say, well, what relevance does it have for the average dog? Well, the, the fact is it does because um, we're kind of, a, it's, by, by working the dog, it's almost like a stress test. We're enabling ourselves to see things a lot more clearer by putting dogs under, a, under some level of physical exertion. Um, so what you, what you find is when you put a dog onto a high, uh, so if you look at um, something called the respiratory exchange ratio, so if you look at, if, look at when it's one, that essentially means, and it's looking at the, the, um, uh, the production of carbon dioxide um, versus um, O2 oxygen uptake. So if it's one, there's an equal balance between carbon dioxide production and oxygen uptake. Once you go above one, then what that means is the dog is relying more on carbs. So as soon as you add more carbs in the diet, then basically the dog's producing more CO2 and intake is less O2. So as we all know with dogs, that means they're going to start because <laughs> they want to they want to they want to get it back down there, right? Now if you look at um, a high fat diet, then that that respiratory exchange ratio goes the opposite way. So you end up with less CO two production and more O two uptake, and that means oh. the dogs pant less. So it, just by combination of just good old fashioned blowing off more CO two, the dog is going to be in a more dehydrated state. Than a dog that's fed a high kibble diet, and this is just this has been this is, we, we did a, there was a, a, a girl, I never I can't take the credit for this. There was a lady who did a, a PhD at Massey uh, before me, and she looked at this with dogs, and they, they used the Douglas bags and all this kind of stuff, and they had them on the treadmills, and she measured all this. So that's again, that's just a fact, you know. I mean, I've not made implications. Spin. What are the what are the implications for you on a track for the dogs? Well, you, I tell I tell you a funny story. I tell you, well, it's actually a rating story. Is that when I lived in New Zealand, there was a, um, I, was, I was working for a particular company and um, I, there was a bid for, for um, uh, uh, all the New Zealand service dogs, you know, like the, the drug dogs, the police dogs, all that kind of stuff. 
And I put a bid in on behalf of this company. And my angle was, yes, it's more expensive. But, you know, all the other, along with all the other benefits of feeding a dog a diet of this composition, one of them that's relevant for you guys is that um, if a dog's blown off more, and this hasn't been proven, but I suspect there's a pretty strong likelihood, if it's blown off more CO2, is that going to affect offication? Are, this, are they going to be able to smell something as well as if they're, <laughs> and, they're, and there's a lot of CO2 that's being produced? You know, I think, first of all, I think that should be a great study and someone can take that up. Or if someone wants to fund me yeah. for it, give me a shout, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they, they never accepted it. And, 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 and that wasn't even going to the sort of the exercise benefits I mentioned before, the high fat. But yeah, ultimately, they never went with it. They went for, for, for a kibble instead. But <laughs> I tried. Yeah, God. So when you're looking through all of this research, and it's great that you're out there doing some of this, you know, so many people are interested in what you're doing. Um, are you finding that, you know, all of these papers which are written about the human stuff and we're seeing lots of development of ideas around why humans aren't necessarily as carb-greedy as they should, as they have been painted out to be. Are you finding that there is a lot of correlation between a lot of those human study stuff that's out there and what you're finding with dogs? Or do you find that there is a disparate sort of group? Well, you guys know me. And I'm kind of, I've always, I'm always someone who kind of likes to self-experiment as much as anything else. So I do a lot of, um, uh, when I, when, the dogs are obviously busy from, from September all the way through to beginning of April, and then they're done. I then do a lot of running. So what I, I, I've switched over, and I, I went on a ketogenic diet for years and years, and I did several ultra marathons with probably no more than about 30 grams of carbs I was consuming a day. I never had any wow. effects at all. You know, crazy. Um, Amazing. Brilliant. So, so I don't, I don't think humans, I don't think humans have any need for carbs. I think there's certainly, you know, having a, a, a few fruits and, fruits and vegetables, you know, I don't have a problem with that, but I certainly think the, the abundance that we have that we consume is, is, is way too much. And part of my hope is that, and I think we are seeing it, we are seeing people kind of thinking about it more and then kind of applying it into the dogs and the cats more. You know, and hopefully that, hopefully that will gather more speed. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I, I measured my, my glucose a, a lot, and I've never had it, – it's always sat pretty the whole time. I've never, I've never gone hypo or anything. So it's not just dogs. It's humans as well. I, I, honestly, I think, I think the only other things I'd be looking at would be, um, uh, obviously, you know, some EPAs. EPAs. <laughs> you just need to – your sound's just gone slightly. Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go. We're back. Can you hear me? I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other, other, other than obviously EPAs and DHAs. Oh. <laughs> can you hear me? Oh, it'll be it'll be on your phone. Can you hear me now? It will be on your <laughs> phone. Be fine. Yeah, Give us the answer. In the, in the wash. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, can you hear me now? I don't know. If you listen to this podcast later on, we'll get Mark to specially record that answer into his phone. <laughs> so that... <laughs> yeah. Doesn't want to give away the secrets. Guys, guys, I would love to invite Mark back because I've only just started on the list of questions and he can talk to us about his, his supplements. So, um, uh, um, Mark, how can people find out about uh, what you do? Have you got a Facebook page or anything like that? Or that maybe, Brent, can you write in the... Yeah. Yeah, we can put a put link. the Facebook page yeah. on the link. It's on. It's on the Facebook yeah. page already. There's a link directly to Mark. There's some great information mm. on there. 
Um, he talked about, you know, his disdain for carbs a lot. I've seen quite a few <laughs> videos. Uh, and his... Uh, uh, and some things that are great around fats, et cetera. Uh, I would just say, please do visit his uh, Facebook page. It would be great uh, to support Mark. Um, and, no. oh, no. I tell you what, type us, type us an answer or record it on your phone. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Elon Musk has uh, purchased a cereal factory and has now decided to cut Mark off because he doesn't yeah, like what yeah. he's saying. No. <laughs> Blind, <laughs> <laughs>